Erica Moen is a queer cartoonist based in Portland, Oregon. With over two decades in the comics industry, she has co-created the sex-positive series Oh Joy, Sex Toy and the sex and relationship book for teens called Let's Talk About It with her husband, Matthew Nolan. Erica is a frequent guest on Dan Savage's beloved Savage Lovecast and is currently working on her autobiographical graphic novel about mental health. You can find Erica and her work at patreon.com slash Erica Moen. We are delighted to welcome her to the show. Creativity, authenticity, body autonomy, mental health, sexuality, gender identity, recovery, recovery, Over sex. How are you today? <laughs> start with the hard questions. <laughs> oh, sorry, what was that? I said we start with the hard questions. Starting with the hard questions. Yeah. Well, um, I've got some hard answers. It is beautiful right now. Like I'm, I'm in Portland, Oregon, and we are known for being a very rainy, gray city. And right now, the sun is just like streaming in after a week of everything being really gross. And it's just, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like a plant, and I'm photosynthesizing. It's just absorbing it I can see like the light on the wall in your studio yeah. it's very like it's very magical I have to say yeah yeah I'm glad I'm glad you can see it too <laughs> yeah do you have like uh, I know I have pretty gnarly like seasonal affective de- mm-hmm. de- depression is that part of your experience <laughs> I, I, I generically would say yes but you know I just I I've got plenty of mental health issues anyway. So what's seasonal effectiveness disorder? What's the rest? What's just regular depression? I don't know. Totally. I'm like, was this caffeine withdrawal or PMS or sad or just depressed? Or is it like alcoholism? Like, yeah, I can't right? like, How can you separate them? <laughs> Seriously. I mean, I guess then you're like, it's a construct. It's all a fucking construct, like wellness. Anyway, um, so you mentioned that you're in Portland, Oregon. Um, what are your pronouns? My pronouns are she, her, and what are yours? Oh, thank you for asking. I think you might have been the first first guest to ask. Mine are also she, her. All right. Um, and along with our kind of easy easy warm up, we <laughs> I wonder what your what is your experience of gender today? My experience of gender today is uh, generically a woman. I don't know. I've, I've I've tried to do the deep thinking about like what is gender? What is my gender? And like, I just come back to being a really boring cisgender woman. Like it just, it just works for me. So uh, it just works for me. No. Awesome. I love this. I mean, cause I think not so much of like, what's that identification, although that can totally be the answer, like stoked, but more like, cause I feel like a lot of times, like as cis people, we don't necessarily get a lot of uh, like, especially people, cis people who are not engaged in like queer communities. <laughs> so mm-hmm. per- perhaps not y- yourself or myself, mm-hmm. but like don't necessarily interrogate that a lot. Mm-hmm. And so we like to kind of have a space to to kind of be like, huh, what is that like actually? <laughs> yeah. But cool. Love that you enjoy being a woman. Um, yeah. Well, I, I mean, but also, <laughs> I enjoy being a woman and I identify as a woman and I, I feel like a woman, whatever that means. But then also at the same time, I do do things that are gender atypical. And it's like, well, is this not cisgendery of me? Like, I'm a cisgender woman who likes to pack. And um, I have some other examples that I don't remember right now. That's just the most traumatic one. It's like, but I still, I, I don't know. That doesn't change how I feel about my gender. I just like having a dick every now and then. Doesn't everybody? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if given the option, yes, I would say yes. I mean... It's interesting. I've been thinking a lot about it just because it feels like kind of a political time to like the, the, to have any stance on gender, especially yeah. kind of like as a femme person. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what if like not necessarily as a personal like 
proclivity, but as a kind of political statement, I was just like, I'm done with this. <laughs> it's too hard. <laughs> like, how would that work out? And I wonder, and I think it would just make my life more difficult. But yeah, I don't know. It's been, it's been interesting because I'm like preparing uh, a, a live show right now. And so I'm thinking a lot about like how one moves in their body and if, if that's gendered and how to kind of play with that. And so I'm, I'm curious as to kind of other people's experience. Oh, I remembered one of the other examples. When I get mistaken for a dude, which happens somewhat regularly, like I always feel like I just got a gold star. I like I, I have feel this little delight when somebody calls me sir or he, and I'm just like, oh. But I mean, that doesn't sound very cis, does it? Yet, <laughs> Actually, no. <laughs> I mean, like I'm happy being a woman, yeah. so I don't know. No, but I think it's like it, there there is an element of like if it is indeed a construct, much like mental health, then like what, what how does one play with that in like in context of living in a society, right? Of like how can I kind of um, yeah like dance along the line as opposed to kind of be stuck in a binary where like you have certain ex- or one has certain expectations of me based on my appearance or you know yeah. mm. <laughs> so. <laughs> You've been writing and illustrating Ojo Sex Toy with your husband, Matthew Nolan, for close to a decade, and recently you've stepped into kind of a more curatorial role, um, holding space for guests as you focus on more autobiographical material. Like, we have so many questions. We, the royal we, have so many questions. (laughs) Me and the dog in the back have questions. I'm here for it. (laughs) Um, So, like, how did it feel to kind of step back initially? Because I, I know it's kind of, kind of been like a you know, a large part of your life for a long time. Uh, well, it was really complicated and uh, very disturbing, actually, uh, because, like, I, I, oh, maybe for your readers, I should explain what I did for Ojoy. So Matt and I would write the comics together, and Ojoy is a wide variety of different topics on sex. And so that covers sex education, it covers... Uh, sex toy reviews, Ojoy sex toys, where that part comes from. (laughs) Um, And then we also, like, cure, like, from the very beginning, we've had guest comics, guest cartoonists come on and do comics. Like, they typically cover erotic comics or sex education from their own perspective or just, just different points of view about all these subjects that relate to sex. So for the comics that Matt and I were doing together, we would write them together one of us would usually take lead and write the first draft of the script and um and then the other person would edit it and then I would draw it and Matt would color it and for the last I think for the first seven eight years of Oh Joy that was just our entire life um it's it's every everything revolved around making the site work and producing these comics every single week and and they're big comics too. It's not yeah, like an it's Instagram a tremendous comic. body of work. Like <laughs> yeah, like our the comics that we're producing are uh, online. It's one long scroll, but in real life we're designing them to be printed in a book. And each comic is typically between four to six pages long, and that's book pages. And um, and the workload was very intense, and it was very fulfilling and very exciting. And then just a lot of burnout really seeped in and then uh we got this amazing offer to do a sex education and relationship books for teenagers to be published by a major publisher out here in the u.s and like that's been my goal all along like before oh joy started my original goal was to do a book for teenagers about sex um and then that got sidetracked to do what became oh joy and so now here we had a major publisher who was like I will pay you guys big boy money to make this book that you've wanted to make this whole time anyway. So you couldn't turn that down. So I was working both on Ojoy and drawing this teen sex book. And I just absolutely crashed and burned. Um, And I wound up going through the mental hospital. (laughs) Which you're now writing a book about. (laughs) Which my next book is about. But, um, But mind you, while going through the mental hospital, I was still working on all these things. I didn't get to take time off. (laughs) Yeah, because there's deadlines, you know? Wow, that seems like a a lot. Uh, It was. And, like, you guys in Europe, you've got healthcare, or, or, you know, your own version of it. No, we have healthcare. (laughs) 
like you stop working, you stop making that money. What's going to pay for the mental hospital that I'm in? What's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I I couldn't stop working while I was going through mental health programs. Um, So anyway, so I think for another year, I finished the mental health program, super duper helpful. And I did another year of doing the comics for Ojoy, finished the book, blah, blah, blah. And then I went out on a trip with uh, two of my best friends, Danielle Corsetto and Lucy Bellwood, who are also cartoonists. And they've also done guest comics for Ojoy. They're amazing. We went out to the East Coast. Well, Lucy and I went out to the East Coast to go visit Danielle. And it's while I was out there where I was just like, I can't do this anymore. I, I just, I can't, I just can't do it anymore. So I had to come back and tell my husband and it was like, it basically felt like saying I want a divorce. It was awful. Mm. It was very, very painful for the both of us. Um, I don't think like, we both just sobbed so much and so long about it. Um, Cause it was like our whole relationship at that point, it was uh, everything that we did together. And mm-hmm. um, yeah. And so I, I have taken a big step back so that I could work on doing my book about going through the mental hospital. And that, on his own has been holding down the fort with Ojoy. And it was like, do we end Ojoy? Can we keep it going? Can it afford to pay for itself? Um, blah, blah, blah. Cause when you hire guest artists, that's money we're paying out yeah. rather than Matt and me doing Receiving. it. Which, yeah. Which is just like money staying in. <laughs> Could we afford to have it be entirely guest comics? And so for the last just over a year, Matt has been doing all of this by himself. He's been editing all and soliciting all the guest comics on his own. And it is a big expense. Um, And every month, you know, we are talking about like, okay, is this, how long can we keep this going? And by we, I mean Matt. (laughs) Um, And it's a huge strain. It's been really hard. And okay, so that's a lot of bummer stuff I just said. The counter- thank you for being so vulnerable and, and like, you know, allowing us into that space because it sounds like a really, you know, like an, an identity shifting decision, which I think is always really hard. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, like, this is probably horribly insensitive to parents who have children. I don't know. I don't have children. But for Matt and me, like we spent basically the last 10, well, even before Ojoy, we were doing comics together. So over a decade of our lives together have been creating comics together Mm -hmm. and that's what we do together and like raising and nourishing this project and getting it out there in the world and keeping it going and to suddenly take it away it's like taking your kid away just be like hey you know what actually I'm done with our kid I'm sorry what now (laughs) like or this is um, too much right now like (laughs) yeah I'm sorry our kid is like stressing me out I need a break from our kid Hmm. Um, again apologies to the parents who are listening um add in a different analogy (laughs) (laughs) make one up it's fine um but no but I I I really appreciate your kind of honesty with that experience because I think especially post-COVID that a lot of people are coming to terms with you know what is actually possible um, and what kind of expectations like we have of ourselves and of our relationships and of our work, you know, so I think that like you're, you're definitely not alone in that experience, but the fact that it happens kind of within the crucible of your relationship sounds really challenging. Yeah. Um, but, you know, kind of speaking of working with your romantic partner, like what, what has that been like? Because it also sounds like it's really a magical thing to have within your relationship, like so much love for each other as artists. Yep. Uh, and that's, so like I was saying, like, I just shared a lot of the bummer stuff. Counterpoint to all that is like, I love making comics with my husband. Mm-hmm. We're a great creative team. Um, we, we do a really, I make my best work when I'm working with him and it's, it's fun and it's stimulating and it's creative and it's a mind game that we play together and and coming up with a script and you're like, why isn't this working? And the other one is like, aha, here's the missing piece. And just, uh, and like, I don't know how to draw this. Well, did you consider like this type of an image? And um, 
it's it's fun. It's it's a really fun game and bonding experience and creative exercise. And I'm really proud of what we've made. We're both really proud of what we've made. Uh, we we've been making the the kind of educational material about sex and relationships that we desperately wanted and needed when we were growing up in the 90s and early 2000s and we didn't just have the internet to go to like there wasn't Pornhub to just be exposed to pornography uh, I mean also later. like this goes so far beyond that in terms of education and talking about like feelings and mm-hmm. pleasure and like yeah. it's so much more nuance and and like magic in in your work than I would say people have even now have access to traditionally yeah, well, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Only the truth. Yeah, that, that's the goal. Like, we wanted to take these scary subjects that are intimidating, and people hear sex and they hear consent and they hear whatever other word has to do with that. And a lot of people are just going to close up immediately. Uh, for whatever reason. Especially, um, I think, adolescents when presented information mm-hmm. like by their parents. I remember like my mom giving me a sex book and just being like, this is not... Eh, eh, eh. <laughs> like, yeah. It didn't yeah, feel it's accessible. It's and uncomfortable. And, um, and so we tried to... I, like, I, we get made fun of and criticism for a, a decision we made intentionally, which is where Matt and I depict ourselves in the comics and we're the narrators for the most part and we explain these things. And we really lean into being just absolute dorks and <laughs> just just like dad jokes and just so uncool. And that was a deliberate choice because it's like if we can make the reader see the this expert <laughs> and, and see these nerds and be like, well, I'm cooler than this person. Well, I know that's a dumb joke. And like it gives the reader a sense of being... <laughs> more worldly and cooler and also lowers the inhibitions for learning about like, Oh, maybe herpes isn't that big of a deal. Maybe you can still have a sex life if you have herpes. And it just brings people to a more receptive state of learning something new that might otherwise be information they would close themselves off to, or be like, Oh, I already know herpes is bad. So end of story. And it's like, well, maybe people with herpes are still people. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, if you consider it. Uh, but I mean, it's it's really nice to kind of hear you, like the level of affection and, and delight you have in, in talking about this project specifically. Um, it's really beautiful. Like I, f- I feel it in my body. So that's like, thank you for sharing that. Thanks. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, it's like, I think it's a really, it's a really important thing, you know, to kind of offer this, like it's, it is, it is a work of, it's obviously a labor of love, but it's also a ser- like a service to the world. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of similar to what we're trying to do here for, you know, people in the recovery community, whatever that means, plus, plus, plus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you identify as a queer artist. And I think mm-hmm. that that kind of shows up in the work is in some somewhat like mm-hmm. uh, do, do you feel like that that kind of identifier affects like I don't know the worldview or what you're trying to present in uh, either uh, let's talk about it or oh joy oh absolutely uh, I mean both Matt's bisexual I I'm actually coming more to embrace the term bisexual but I, I just default to queer because like who knows who knows where you're going to be on that spectrum on any given day but um but like so we're both two queer people who <laughs> see sex from a queer lens and um and obviously like that has to like there's no way to talk about sex without w- w- without talking about it that yeah. way um so yeah, it's it's just very important to be like, hey, sex does include a penis going in a vagina. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. If you're up for that. If everybody has those body parts and wants to use them like that, go nuts. And also, in addition to that, sex is also a lot of other body parts with other body parts associated together. <laughs> or even like... Personally, I count phone sex as sex and I count mutual masturbation where, you know, you're not touching each other, but you're maybe in the same room and you're jerking yourselves off and jerking yourself off is I use that gender neutrally. Um, (laughs) I like that's all that counts as sex to me. Um, It was sexual intimacy and sexual activity, at least. And and so, yeah, if you're going to talk about sex and what people's options are to have sex, you gotta cover it all and covering it all is just kind of default a queer viewpoint 
Yeah, there's definitely a queer lens. And I wonder, like, I know in the sh on the show in the past, there's kind of been discussions of, like, people who are, like you had mentioned, kind of uncomfortable with taking on, like, the bisexual title because it feels like, especially, I think, for femmes, like, the idea of bi erasure has been kind of culturally embedded <laughs> for a long time. Like, we had somebody a couple weeks ago on who was saying that, like, mom, what if I told you I was gay? And she was, her mom was like, I love you very much. <laughs> and like, would respect your choices. And then she's like, okay, mom, what if I told you I was bisexual? And she was like, I would call you a slut in a home record. It was like, wow, yeah. that's polarizing. Um, <laughs> joking or serious? I'm not, I think she, or her mom was like, kind of jokingly serious. I think that there was like, it really, I mean, and also that way I believe was like in the nineties or early two thousands. So maybe things have changed since then, but like, I do wonder kind of being in uh, a heterosexual couple or I guess like being married to a man. Yeah. <laughs> um, like how has that kind of affected your queer identity? If at all. Uh, I really struggled with it in the beginning. I really, cause I identified as a lesbian I started out identifying as like, oh, I think I'm bisexual. And then I uh, I did get together with uh, somebody who was a woman. And uh, it was just like everything clicked into place. And I was like, oh, no. Like the feelings that I have for girls, I understand them now. Definitely I'm lesbian through and through, blah, 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 whatever. And then I saw the man who I would fall in love with. And I just, uh, at first I thought, okay, so here's the thing. I, okay, so I'm in college and I've, uh, I have a crew of lesbians and they all have a dude story where they talk about this time they hooked up with a dude. And it's like, you know, a funny story that, we'll, that we share with each other. Ha ha, yeah, this one time, ha lol. <laughs> and I, so I get off the train and, oh, and I'm, I'm studying abroad in France and I'm going to go to England for the weekend. And I write on my live journal. <laughs> I love a live journal moment. <laughs> That's fantastic. I like live journal was legit the best social media that's ever existed. I agree. And I, yeah. and, and, and I don't think I'm just like being nostalgic, just functionality. It was superior to everything we've had since then. Also so pure, like so pure. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And so you could put a message on your live journal and say, Hey, I'm going to be in England for the weekend. Does anybody want to hang out? And uh, and then a cute British boy can say, hey, I can hook you up with a place to stay. And then you can write back and be like, okay, Buster, well, I'm a lesbian, so don't you try anything. And also, please don't rape or kill me. And that's the first <laughs> message you send to your future husband. <laughs> Early 2000s, go for it. Like. <laughs> and, and to my credit, like I looked up youth hostels that were in the area. So if I got a sketchy vibe from him, like I had... Well, other places I could go but also I was a college student and I wanted to save money <laughs> so I'll go stay with a stranger from the internet it seems um, like a totally brave and wise decision thank you <laughs> so um so yeah I take the train from France to England and I get off the train and I see this guy at the end of the the train uh platform I just feel like I've been hit by lightning and so I'm like oh I'm attracted to a dude like for reals attracted to a dude I am going to hook up with this guy. This is going to be my dude story when I go back to college and I tell my lesbians, like, I did it too, lol. Um, <laughs> and so I spent the whole weekend just, like, hitting on this guy so hard, so blatantly. And he, bless his heart, was like, oh, I think there's a cultural difference happening here. Americans <laughs> are just so friendly. They laugh at all your jokes and they touch your arm a lot. <laughs> Wildly <laughs> like, flirtatious. Maybe it's normal. I know this person's a lesbian because she told me. <laughs> and also this woman sent me an email ahead of time saying, don't you dare even think about trying anything. <laughs> so She called me Buster. She must have meant business. <laughs> this is clearly just how uh, Americans are friendly with each other. <laughs> Um, yeah, wait, okay, why did I tell you that story? Oh, because, like, this is kind of your, I don't know, this is your meet cute. <laughs> this is my meet cute. Um, yeah. What happened? And, what yeah, happened? Then, <laughs> then what happened? And then what happened is I had a whole, so we hooked up, um, when I finally was like, I want to make out. And he was like, wait, but you're a lesbian. <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> and, um. Was he aware of his own bisexuality at the time? Uh, I, I don't think like he'd put that into words. I don't think he'd consciously put 
put those pieces together. Um, like really like understanding, oh, that's what this is. I, that came later. But at this point, like, I think just kind of default straight boy. Um, but oh. yeah. But oh, what's that? I just made, made an oh sound. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, so we did get together. And it was supposed to be a fling. And then just like, we couldn't break up. We kept trying to. Because it's like, we're not going to do long distance from the U.S., to the UK. That's stupid. That's not, that's not doable. And yet we just couldn't stop talking to each other and like falling in love. And that also really fucked up my uh, sense of identity as a queer person. Cause like, what does that make me? And at the time I like bisexual was a label that didn't feel quite right. Cause I saw that as more of like a 50-50 split. Whereas in my case, I felt like, no, I'm a lesbian for sure. For real. And this guy. Like... An exception. He's just like this one exception. Um, but then as time has gone on, like, yeah, no, I don't. I, I, I'm attracted to whatever. And yeah, yeah, I, I can be queer even if I'm partnered with a dude. <laughs> How did you kind of like shift that around internally? Like when did the kind of discomfort with that stop? When did that stop? Or how did you kind of like massage yourself into this? Like, oh, this like, I'm, I don't need to put a name to it. This, this is how I am. I think when, okay. So part of like my queer identity and why it was so disruptive to my sense of self to, to have that challenged was it wasn't just like, oh yeah, I like to fuck girls. It was also culturally like, culturally lesbian as well i my my friends are gay we're we're doing we're going to gay marches and protest things and so like it's it's this social identity and uh appearance aspect mm -hmm. as well and obviously sexuality is not just one of those things by itself it's just a lot of that stuff all smushed together that came together to form an identity for me and if i loved a boy like <laughs> Could you participate anymore in that, like that, those codes? Yeah. Yeah. And like, was I even welcome anymore? Mm. And the answer is no. And so realizing like, I'm not welcome in the queer community anymore because I fell in love made me realize like, okay, well, what's actually important to me is having this identity important is having this community important or is it more important that I found somebody who is my best friend and I love and I love fucking and that's more important to me than having this identity marker. So, um, so yeah, so I still dress the way I dress. Um, I still, I, 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 I still look kind of gay. Some people tell me. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll just, I'll just do my thing with my people. Um, and the rest of the official community, you guys can go do your thing. You don't need me. You don't want me. I found someplace I am wanted. Oh, I mean, but it's, it's interesting. Like I'm having a lot of like visceral reactions to what you're saying. And maybe this is me just like learning how to be present in my body. <laughs> but, but no, I'd like, I'm so moved by your love, you know, cause you obviously like, I think it sounds like both with the kind of the surrender of oh joy at least for now and like the kind of surrender of this like hardcore lesbian identity like that there's been a lot of I don't know integrity in oh. kind of your like that is your, not a your, word <laughs> with me very frequently no, but like within your, within your story in terms of like the choices that you're making surrounding like your mental health and your art and then also your relationship and I like I, I really appreciate that um you know you kind of got into a little bit to, to pivot once again um, yeah. So let's talk about it. You said that like this was kind of the initial dream when you started writing Oh Joy and that it, it actually kind of got fulfilled because somebody pitched it to you. Sounds yeah. <laughs> I just, I wanted to be like, okay, I know you think you're the one pitching this to me, but I had this idea first. <laughs> like, this is so, your idea. Like, I did it. <laughs> this is my dream manifesting. Um, <laughs> so like, how did, what did you have to think about when you were changing your message to talk like, 
to adolescents instead of adults about sex? Like what kind of points did you want to hit in a different way potentially um, well, for okay. kids and teens? So for Ojoy, like I said before, Matt and I are the narrators for it for the most part. And it's us being dorky adults. And for teens, we didn't want to be adults lecturing teens. Like, hey, hey, kids. We're Sex is cool. <laughs> yeah. Like baseball cap, turn it backwards. <laughs> hey, fellow kids. <laughs> How do you do, fellow kids? Yeah. Um, no. So we wanted to have teens talking to each other uh, and, and kind of like, peer education and teens in situations that they might actually find themselves in and with the types of people they might find themselves talking to. So that includes like friends their age or a sister who's maybe a little bit older or um, for the most part, it's friends their age Uh, or, or two strangers in high school, which again is people who are the same age. But anyway, anyway, but so we wanted to have these lessons incorporated into realistic-ish situations that a teen could actually find themselves in and could maybe just have a, a template made for the types of conversations that you can have when you find yourself in these situations and what questions to ask both yourself and somebody else. And yeah, just, just try to demystify what happens when you're suddenly like, oh wait, I'm alone in a room with somebody. Oh fuck, what now? <laughs> oh god, I mean that's like it's so it's such a generous thing because it's like especially as sex education kind of gets slowly killed in America. Oh my god. I mean, to to have a resource like that for, you know, parents and for teens, I think it's like such a beautiful, mm-hmm. valuable thing. So I'm so excited that it exists. Um thank you. <laughs> yeah, and, and, I mean, and at present um, you're working on an autobiographical graphic novel about your time in a mental hospital. Yeah. Um, and I have to say that I was like, I had never seen a kind of draft form of a comic and that was really cool. So if people are interested, they should check out your Patreon at. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash E-R-I-K-A-M-O-E-N. Erica Moen. Awesome. Because I think it's really like it's valuable to see the process. And I really appreciate you sending that over. And yeah, and I mean, and I think like, would you mind kind of talking a little bit about that experience for you? Like how, like what your journey with mental health has been and and how it's feeling like, because it's a pretty recent reflection, right? That was like 2019. Yeah. So how does it feel to kind of like, look at this stuff so kind of closely to its occurrence? It feels so good. Um, you know how we started out talking about like the sunshine coming through to the window today? Like that's what it feels like to have gone through the mental health program and to go back, uh, over a year later and take all my notes that I kept while I was going through the program and turn them into comic pages. And I mean, which is not to say it was always easy. You know, sometimes it was difficult to go back and look at that old stuff and to, to, pick and choose and translate what will go into the book, what's relevant, blah, blah, blah. But as a whole, it just feels like sunshine coming through. It feels like it was so dark for so long and um, just there's light. <laughs> That's so, I'm so grateful to hear that. Cause I think like it could be maybe it, it, I would assume that it might be like, I don't know, a little stark to be like, like, fuck that was like, less than four years ago, but it sounds like it's, it's really a healing process, like making something from it. Yeah. It, it, it feel it, some people said like, Oh, is it cathartic making this book? And really it just feels like, um, a celebration. Uh, the, the catharsis was going through the program itself and continuing to practice what I learned and continuing to get help that's the doing it is the the catharsis part if I'm using that word correctly I'm not even sure if I'm using that word right it's close enough you get I like what I mean it. <laughs> and then doing this book afterwards is like writing a love letter and summarizing all this stuff and being like I, when I got okay so every day that I was I, I went it, it's called the intensive outpatient program which is um, partial 
hospitalization ish. Mm-hmm. Wait, no, that's not the right word. It's where I go to the clinic during the day mm-hmm. and I do their lessons and it takes up the whole day. And then at night I still get to go home. Um, as opposed to hospitalization, which is where like you go to the hospital. Yeah. And you, you stay there overnight. Yeah. Um, which is more like rehab. I mean, like, cause I think people are, who listen to the show might be familiar with like an IOP, like from drug and alcohol treatment centers and this is mental health. So would you mind kind of talking us a little bit about like the process of what that was like to kind of yet be in recovery in that way? Yeah. And also uh, a ton of the people who were in IOP with me, uh, were people who were recovering from like, I definitely more than a handful of people were dealing with alcoholism or I don't know the right phrasing. Is that that okay? Alcoholism addiction. (laughs) Yeah. So people who were dealing with that. And then also people who were just dealing with mental collapses and trauma. And, um, yeah. So what was that like? It was intimidating at first. And then once I got there, I just, Oh God, you know, that, that cliched phrase of, I feel seen. Like I felt seen. (laughs) I had my people, uh, they all like, we didn't necessarily go into the details of like, why specifically are you here? What, what happened that got you here? But you know, we'd, we'd have to go around and talk about, Oh, do you want to go do the thing? Or? <laughs> no, the dog was barking in her sleep. She's like, Rrr! I'm like, I'm in the middle of recording a podcast. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. You were saying that like, uh, you were saying that you felt seen. Please, yeah. <laughs> please rewind. Well, okay. So, you know, when you're out in the real world and somebody's just like super depressed and you're like, "Ugh, you're a bummer. Mm. And there we have a group. We're all in a room together and we're like at our low fucking points. And a lot of people had just come out of being full on hospitalized. And this is their first step out of hospitalization. Uh, so like we're at our low points. We are not doing okay. It's not the winner's circle feeling like. like no, not congratulations, the everyone. And it felt so affirming <laughs> that uh, you could go there and you could just be so you're at your bottom and you're not the bummer. Um, we're, we, we're all at our bottom. We all get it. And we're all coming from it from very different points of view. Some people are dealing with addiction. Some people are dealing with a nervous breakdown, whatever. And just to feel like we understand each other on a certain level, not on every level, but on a fundamental level. Wow. These are my people. That's so beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I I was in treatment for a long time for like dual diagnosis, like alcoholism and addiction plus uh, Mm -hmm. mental illness. And there is something I think very important and special that happens in those spaces. That's like Mm -hmm. kind of indescribable, the level of not not even camaraderie, because a lot of people I'm like, I don't, we are like, I don't necessarily relate to you, but like, I know Mm -hmm. that we're in this, this, this thing together and that yeah that's really important exactly we're in this together and even and like you you can look around the room and you know like we would not be compatible outside of this room but in this room like yeah we are comrades uh yeah I will support you yeah I I will be there for you as much as I can within reasonable boundaries um yeah so just uh just finding finding your people, finding your fellow survivors and you can all just cling to each other together. And yeah. Well, and also I think that feeling of like not having to kind of perform success is a really important one, (laughs) especially right now when I feel like the noise around social media or whatever in terms of like people being like, look at this yacht (laughs) or like check out my body. I'm just like, (laughs) never felt more disillusioned in my life. Um, And so what a relief to kind of, to, to cease to kind of contort into like the, like, I'm fine, um, <laughs> like shape. Um, and so how did you kind of like, what does, what did kind of getting your purchase? Uh, I don't know. Cause I get, again, feel like mental health is such like a, like, what does that even mean? But like, how did, what did the process of starting to feel okay feel like? It. I, I remember 
the day I had a, a big change, which is, okay, so first I went through the intensive outpatient program for one month. And then after that, I was enrolled into the DBT, Dialectical Behavior, Ther- Behavior Role, Behavior mm-hmm. Therapy Program. And that lasts six months. And it's also a big commitment. Um, and so I was going through DBT. Oh, yeah. And is DBT the one where they kind of get, it's like very much like kind of behavior and skill based? Like, yeah. cool. Yeah. It's uh, oh, dialectical means, uh, I'm going to skewer this, but it basically means like holding and understanding two uh, contrasting things at the same time. Um, so very cool. Yeah. So instead of black and white thinking where you're just like, oh, well, that's a bad person because they did a bad thing. And it's like, no, that's a neutral person who did do something hurtful. And that person is also hurting. And that doesn't excuse what they did, but also it gives some context to this is not just an evil person. Do you know what I mean? Very AA, actually. Oh. Oh, yeah. No, I've heard there's a lot of overlap between AA and DBT stuff. Um, we love skills. We love like, yep. <laughs> we love a functional behavior that kind of like addresses a, a feeling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And okay. So I remember one, oh, okay. So in DBT, they bring in two new students at a time and two students graduate at a time. And so throughout your six months, you start out, you know, you're brand new and then you're kind of midway through and then you're a senior and then you graduate. And then there's a whole bunch of different people who are all at those different stages the whole time as well. Kind of like rotating through the process. Rotating through the process. And one of the more senior guys, when I very first came in, he was like, it takes about a month before uh, you feel a difference from being in this program. And before that, you're just like, I'm showing up. I'm here. I'm hopeless. And then a month in you will realize that you are doing DBT and that it's helping. And for me, it was six weeks. <laughs> and on the <laughs> six week mark, I saw something that would traditionally trigger me. And like for the first time in my life, I was okay. And I just, I didn't even know I was capable of, of experiencing that and being okay. That's so beautiful. And I think also like to the self-recognition in the moment is such like a, like sea change of like what, what we anticipate our experience of being alive is right. That I'm like, I'm like this, and this is how I respond to this thing. (laughs) And to have like something new is, is really like, it kind of blows the roof off because you're like, anything is possible. Yeah. Like I'm not trapped in this way that I've always been like that. I I can, this fundamental wiring, that is the only way I've ever known. It's like breathing air and it's like being told, oh yeah, actually you don't need to breathe air anymore. And you're like, what? Yeah, that's, that's how I live as I breathe air. It's like, oh, you can be exposed to this thing that triggers you and it can just not trigger you. You're you're like, that's not possible. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's really exciting. And and so kind of what uh what kind of like routines or like what are you kind of what does your recovery look like today in terms of like the actions that you take to self-support or to connect? Uh I never thought I would be this person, but I meditate pretty much every day. <laughs> I <laughs> I start my day off with mindfulness. I have a little meditation app. I sit down, I just do a little 10 minute thing. If I don't have time, then I'll do a five or a three minute thing. And uh, that just helps start my day off with my brain. Like here's one thing I can do. And it's okay if the rest of the day sucks. Like you did this one thing. Good job, champ. (laughs) Hey. (laughs) And then, Oh my God. I don't like, it, I'm struggling to, to put into words. Like what, what do I do? How do I do this? It's just like, I just do it. Now. That's awesome. That's um, like, that means it's working. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's just a part of how I'm functioning now, which is not to say I do it perfectly and not to say like everything is perfect now. Okay, wait, I'm going to move my curtain one second. 
The sun has shifted into my eyes. <laughs> it's too beautiful. But I, uh, okay, so one of my tips and that I go back to a lot is when I find myself starting to spiral out or think uh, obsessive ruminating thoughts that I can't break, uh, one, I recognize that's what it is. You are stuck in a loop. That's okay. It's not bad. It doesn't feel great, but you know, whatever. And step two, focus on what is right here in the room with you or get yourself outside. Do anything physical mm. to break that thought loop. And, and that can, uh, I hate this one, but like <laughs> jumping in the shower, a cold shower. Oh, like I scream every time I do that. Um, or you can put an ice pack on your neck. Yeah. Anyway, but anything, anything to break the, 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 the obsessive focus on these spiraling thoughts. Huh. Um, so that I do a lot of really helpful, actually. It, it was super helpful. <laughs> um, yeah. And I'll, I'll count things that are around me. Like right now I'm facing these windows and I could count each little window pane that's in between the window frames or like how many pens are on the desk um anything that forces me to focus on this thing that's here right now and uh and when I'm walking around outside count how many cars are on the street um yeah just anything to to give your brain something to focus on and uh yeah that's I'd say that's the biggest one that's so I mean it just sounds like you're like have a skill set that allows you to kind of get present and grounded and like out of that kind of the tight, the tight loop. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really useful. And I think that'll help a lot of people listening because we have like, you know, I don't know, in 12 step, there's a lot of suggested behaviors and stuff, but I think it's when you're dealing with kind of like addiction or alcoholism, which can kind of manifest, like, I think a lot of people drink or use to kind of shut that shit up, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, when it happens in sobriety and you're like, well, <laughs> like now what do I do that? It can lead to a lot of like outside addictive behaviors or whatever, but like just the simple idea of like getting in your body, getting in the present, getting where you are mm-hmm. is really like incredibly useful. So, yeah. And recognizing you. like, what is the underlying feeling that started this? Why, uh, what triggered this cycle? Um, and, and speaking, I, I've, recently changed my approach to food Hmm. because like I would just kind of passively eat a lot to you know just like I'm bored or I'm lonely or I don't want to work and if I put this in my mouth I'll feel nice for a second and that's you know it's, it's fine I don't think I was being particularly unhealthy about it or anything but just like I realized I wasn't eating because I needed the food I was doing it to fill another need. Mm-hmm. And so now when I get that first urge of like, maybe I should put something in my mouth. I'm like, Erica, why? Why do you want to put something in your mouth? <laughs> What's the actual thing that you want? <laughs> yeah. Are you bored? Are you, are you looking for some kind of stimulation? Are, like what, what's going on? Do you want a hug? <laughs> um, and it's really changed how I'm eating now. Um, and when I'm eating, it's, it's because I would like fuel. I like nourishment. And then when I do have a treat, it means so much more. Like I really savor it because, you know, I'm not just having them every single day. It's like, oh no, this is my boba tea that I get once a week. Oh, enjoy it. Every single boba ball gets sucked up. Like none is missing. At the end. <laughs> this is really delicious. And I mean, I also, I appreciate how you're kind of talking like the way that you're talking about yourself and kind of to yourself is really neutral and gentle like it's not like what do you want now you know like or Mm. kind of like there's no like self-attack which I think is that that's that can take a long I know for me at least I'll say like it took a long time to kind of stop talking to myself like a real asshole yeah me too um in fact it was while I was working on the book, uh, the going through the mental program book, so many of my notes were talking about hating myself. And um, a lot of the lessons were talking about like being neutral with yourself and not talking like an asshole to yourself, blah, blah, blah. 
And I, my notes are like, I can't even comprehend that. Like, I don't even, I, I physically could not say the words mm-hmm. like I like or love myself. I couldn't make my, no, I, like I couldn't do that. And then while I was working on this book and I'm reading those old notes, I realized like, I don't hate myself. And it took over like two or one or two years out of the program to be like, when did I stop hating myself? Which is not to imply that I love myself because I don't. Um, But I'm starting to like myself a little bit. And, um, but just like the absence of hating myself is I'm, I'm turning 40 this year and it's, it's, a completely new sensation of just being like, I exist and that's not good. It's not bad. It just is. (laughs) We're still here. Good job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, but it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because I felt like even in like reading the first draft that there was this idea of like, it felt like you have compassion for your past, your past self. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I, that's, a, I think, a really important and beautiful thing <laughs> to have to have access to on this earth, you know, because it can be yeah. so easy to be like this idiot, <laughs> you know, and it's like, no, <laughs> they were trying their best. And, well, know? exactly. And everything that idiot did in the past, it did keep you alive. It may not have been effective or healthy, but it kept you alive. It kept you here on earth. So, yeah change your behaviors as needed but also that kid was doing the best that they could totally 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 and I and I like it's funny like hearing hearing you say that like I believe it you know because I think it can be easily like just have to love your inner child man I'm like that I remember how far that sounded and was like kind of grossed out just like (laughs) but like the idea of like yeah this kid's trying their best like be nice to the kid I love the kid like I telling friends like be nice to third person I love third person (laughs) like is a has been a a cute one and can I offer that to myself you know Uh, well and that reminds me of another one is when I am feeling bad things about myself I tell myself like okay well let's say your friend were to say this is how I feel about myself right now what would you say to your friend would you say like yeah you are a big idiot who can't do anything and everybody hates you you'd be like no sweetie you're having a bad day and here's all the evidence that shows that you are none of those things or i guess i mean we all suck a little bit but you are <laughs> only those things it's <laughs> yes, not exclusively <laughs> yeah, you're not exclusively a shitty person oh I, I i love thank you so much for sharing like your kind of toolkit because I think it's really helpful because I think it's it, that's you know the hard shit to come by yeah like especially yeah. if we're not necessarily like it's not taught in school necessarily or no yeah. dude when we were in dbt I was just like why is this not taught in schools these are fundamental communication life negotiation skills that if I had learned this in elementary school in high school in college I could have made a lot healthier decisions. I could have caused a lot less damage to myself and to others if I just fucking known about this stuff. Like, why is this not taught? Well, <laughs> why do you have to embrace this before you're taught this? Protected by the fucking therapeutic paywall, unfortunately. <laughs> it's like the medical industrial complex. But like, if that's for another show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I realize it's almost twice as long as you said you were prepared to record. So we will skip quickly into our lightning round just to kind of wrap okay. up on a, on, a, on a high note. Um, what is your morning routine? Okay, so I get up. I meditate. Um, I do morning duties, you know, shower, make, I make breakfast for Matt and me. And I I try to do a little bit of stream of thought consciousness writing, um, which is something I learned in this book. Oh shit. What's it called? I'll I'll send you an email with the title (laughs) later. But anyway, (laughs) they recommend you, you take a journal and you fill up three pages and you just write nonstop. And even if you don't have anything to write about, you just start describing the room and it just gets your brain flowing. And then a lot of the problems that I ruminate on and that are stuck in my head, 
it turns out I kind of know what the answer to them is. Just if I just get my hand going without even realizing it. And yeah, anyway. Anyway, so I try to do, I try to do that every day, but you know, more or less. And then, um, then I'm supposed to start working. Sometimes I do. And then it's lunch. And then, oh, and I only had to start the day. You don't need the whole day, right? No, I mean, but that's cool. Like I think, cause I think, you know, a lot of creative people listen to the show and it's really to, to kind of have like, I don't know, a rhythm or a routine and kind of motivation yeah. when you are your own boss can be <laughs> yeah. tricky. No, I, I need to have the routine. And for the most part, I try to start work at 10 a.m. and sit down and like, okay, get this, go, go, Erica, do it. And sometimes better days than others. Um, but just like having that routine, not only as a self-employed person, but for my mental health, it's, I, I need to do it. And when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, I don't want to get up. I don't, and not just like, I don't feel like it. Like, no, I, as a human being, I don't want to exist right now. And it's like, okay, that's cool. You still got to go do your little meditation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You still, you have your routine, sweetheart. Okay. You don't have to do the whole day. Just get up and go to your meditation. Okay, fine. Okay. Well, you did your meditation. Time to go brush your teeth. Ugh, fine. You know, like the routine keeps me going. Yeah, I'm. I exist in a very similar. Like, I have no idea how people function without like a kind of, like, mm-hmm. like the, the the tick boxes of like, and mm-hmm. then and then and I'm just like, how do you do it? Because yeah. it's so helpful to kind of have the. Yeah. Um. Uh, second question: What turns you on? And this can be like either sexually or like intellectually, creatively. You know, like whatever. Uh, okay. So not, not necessarily sexually, but creatively and all that, but I mean, not, not excluding sexually. Not, not sexually. Uh, <laughs> it's not, not sexual. Uh, meeting new people. I just, I, I, my friends and husband are always making fun of me because like every time I ride the bus, I come off and I'm like, I made a new friend. <laughs> um, do they stick? I just, like, do you have, like, do you have like lasting friendships as, yep. as a result? Yeah. That's awesome. You know, I like lasting friendships that people who I see on a regular basis because I met them on the bus. <laughs> Love. <laughs> um, and even, even, and those ones, like I'm, I'm a bit more selective about who I'm going to like give my phone number to and, and make a lasting relationship. But I also just love just talking to somebody on the bus and like, okay, we're just going to be bus friends for the duration of this ride. Tell me everything. <laughs> and, um, I just, I love getting to talk to people and, and just finding out what, what their interests are, what they get excited about. Um, yeah, just, just that, that human stimulation is, is what gets me, gets me excited. That's awesome. Because I think a lot of people, when they think about like a mental health crisis, it's often like this idea of like introversion or isolation kind of being like mm-hmm. the, the safe go-to. And it sounds like you're actually super extroverted. <laughs> Maybe. I, well, I, I think I'm both. <laughs> it depends on where I am and all that. Um, what is your favorite song to sing in the shower or the car or the bus? <laughs> if it's empty. Or the bus. <laughs> <laughs> to your new friends. Uh, okay. Well, right at this moment, it's that Versace song. I, which I'll, I'll the Amigos be Versace song. It's, you know, the Versace, I, Versace, Versace, that one. What? No, it's... <laughs> I look good in my Versace, Versace. Da, 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 da. And it's like she goes through and she lists all these different fancy clothes that she's like. And then she says something about like, but I made you look, I made you look. And obviously I don't even know the words. I love, I love whatever's happening. Who, who sings this song? Uh, Laner? Is that a name? I don't it's, know. I don't pay attention to popular music, so I'm like, this is news. Yeah, well, see, the thing is, I'm really musically illiterate. I don't follow bands. I do not go to live shows. They are way too loud. Um, and I don't, like, I don't have favorite artists. I, I just, I kind of ambiently absorb whatever music is around me. Um, and that one has just been on Instagram a lot. I love <laughs> I, 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 I like how every question I ask, you're like, like, there's a whole, like, you get really enthusiastic about it. It's, it's very exciting. <laughs> what is the favorite TV, movie, or book that you've recently consumed and loved? I really enjoyed 
1899, which is on Netflix. And it had its strong first season and Netflix has canceled it. So there will be no second season. But it had like all the shit that I love. It had historical costuming and it had science fiction, steampunk science fiction and lots of relationships. So many different relationships. Like everybody has super unique relationships and motivations and they're all interacting with each other and ah, I love it <laughs> okay noted and like fuck you Netflix maybe somebody else will pick it up because I think I you're not the first person I've I've heard like be disappointed that it's over yeah well um, you know honestly though I kind of don't mind it being one season because they set it up in such a way and then the way they ended that first season it's supposed to be a cliffhanger but also, I think it actually works as a, that's Indeed. the end of the story. Uh, for me, at least. I, I I like it as the end. So I'm cool with that. That's cool. And I like that like that that point of view where you're like, I, I don't need more. It's enough. I'm, I'm content with this. Yeah. <laughs> it was perfect. Um, how do you reset when you're having a hard day? I... Okay, so I think the number one thing is I'll go outside and just walk around the block at least. And then there's also like, I'll go upstairs and I'll sit down and I'll do a little meditation. And then there's, <laughs> there's my girls. Uh, I, have, I have my pack of my best friends, Lucy Bellwood, Daniel Corsetto, Claire Bailey. And I will hit one of them up on FaceTime and just, uh, and I, I, like if I'm super, like I, I need to talk about my problems. I'll, I'll say, Hey, are you in the place in the space for me to be sad at you? And, and, you know, and sometimes fair enough, sometimes we'll be like, you know, actually I'm not, but I do love you a lot. Can we check in another time? It's like, okay, cool. Je- and that's that that. perfect. <laughs> I mean, like... Um, but generally speaking, if I'm, I'm having a really hard day, and I'll, I'll hit one of them up and I'll just like ask them a question about how they're doing or something like something that will provoke a, a positive story from them. And just like it, it, it tricks me out of being self-obsessed about my sorrows. And it's like, hey, remember, there's other people out there. And not only are there other people out there, like they're not they they've got good shit too. It's not just like misery in the world. And, um, and so, you know, or cat, not even say anything, just send a picture of my cat and send that to somebody. And they'll be like, your cat is so cute. And I'm like, I know. (laughs) It's like an Um, affirmation that you don't have to like take on yourself. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. It's an act of service. (laughs) Um, yeah. So those are my main ways that I snap out of a bad day. And before I started more mindfully eating, I would go up to the boba tea shop and I would get myself a boba tea and I was doing that a lot lately. <laughs> so um, now I'm just doing that once a week. <laughs> but it feels really good. Oh my God, it feels so good. <laughs> You're like gelatin bubbles in my brain. Um, Dude, no, wait, wait, I'm not done talking about boba tea. Okay, go on. <laughs> um, I got a reusable boba tea cup so that I wouldn't have to go through their disposables. And so I go in with this jar and I plonk it down and like, they understand now. They don't even quite, they're just like, yep, it's Erica back with her jar. And then it's got a special little top with a hole cut out and I use my metal straw. And so like, I'm not even hurting the environment. Sustainable boba. <laughs> it's sustainable boba. Packing the planet. Boba. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm, I'm proud of you for this, this lifestyle. <laughs> Um, the earth and I thank you yeah. um, and finally what do you love <laughs> you're like, I, boba cup, I, I love talking to you I've really oh. enjoyed um getting to like I love getting to talk to new people and you're a new person I really like talking to you <laughs> <laughs> I love talking to you too Erica wow. thank you so much for for like the time and the energy and for your like thoughtful and and uh yeah, like enthusiastic responses to oh, the sober sex for question. asking good questions. You try. <laughs> um, finally, can you remind people where we can find you uh, if they want to check out your work? Yes. You can check out Ojoy Sex Toy at ojoysextoy.com. 
And you can check out my body of work at patreon.com forward slash Erica Moen. Erica spelled with a K. And even though it's Patreon, most of my posts are public. I'm using it as a blog. So you can still follow along and get a lot of my good shit without having to pay for it. And um, yeah, so Patreon. And then I'm on Twitter as Erica Moen and Instagram as fuck yeah, Erica Moen. Don't <laughs> I'm here fuck yes over sex. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. No, there's this poor other Erica Moen who got there first and like she keeps getting all these messages that are not meant for her. And I am very <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I mean, she should have given you the name. Anyway, I'm like, you're a public figure. Come on. And <laughs> brought this on herself. This is her fault. This is her parents' fault. Um, sorry, other Erica Moen. Your parents' fault <laughs> that you were seeing all these messages. I Erica Moen. And my brother's I mean, name is Eric Moen. <laughs> <laughs> like, your parents also <laughs> may oh, have something to do with this. We are not twins also, my brother and me. I am four years older. It was... <laughs> It was the only name they could agree on. <laughs> That's confusing when it comes to nicknames, but okay. Like, shout out Eric. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's been a joy talking to you today. And thank you so much, Erica, for coming on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Creativity, authenticity, body autonomy, mental health, sexuality, gender identity, recovery, recovery. recovery. Got a special growth.